Well, I think it was just probably about a month or two after my eighth birthday. We were living in North Carolina, and I went to my first ever air show. And it was, it was fascinating because the Blue Angels were there. And even if you haven't seen the Blue Angels in person, many of you have heard of them. They have uh, performed at different times at the big air show that they have over in Smyrna. And so you, what you have are six Navy and Marine Corps pilots that make up this, this group. And so if I was eight years old, doing the math, the year would have been about 1976. Not about, it would have been 1976. And so back then they were flying what are called A-4s, I believe. Uh, these small, very maneuverable, highly maneuverable jets. And Dad even had to lift me up at some point. Uh, I was probably a little too big, <laughs> too chunky, uh, to go on his shoulders at that point in life. But Dad had to lift me up above the crowd. There weren't grandstands there. We were just all standing sort of on the edge of a runway, kind of on this edge of a tarmac kind of situation. And so I, I didn't want to miss the part where uh, the six pilots are kind of marching along in lockstep and then they, they one by one, they, they peel off when they get to their particular aircraft that they're going to fly. They peel off. There's an enlisted man standing there, a maintenance technician who works on their plane and they, they salute that pilot and so, and so I'm, I'm watching these guys peel off one at a time and then you, you go up the little ladder and, and put on their helmet and prepare to man their aircraft. And these things take off, and they're flying in these incredibly tight formations with each other. And it's just, it's just fascinating to watch. You don't even have to be any type of an, uh, of an aviation enthusiast to appreciate what these pilots are able to accomplish. And then there's a couple of the guys, and I can't remember what they call them. They're basically soloists. And they, they peel off from the rest of the group. And so you have these four that are flying in formation. And there's a narrator who tells you what's, what you're about to see before they, they uh, execute each maneuver. But then you figure out that those two that peeled off, they're doing stuff just with each other. And at one point, they both take off and just go just straight away from the crowd in opposite directions. And then what you realize is they do that so that they can turn around and head right back toward each other. And the idea of two aircraft heading directly toward each other and then at the last second, they each, each will turn their stick to the right. And so what they execute is this maneuver where they are passing within just a, a matter of just feet from each other. I remember the narrator saying approximately three meters. Okay, so that's, that's about ten feet, roughly. And you imagine these two aircraft going at probably 600 plus miles an hour, coming within 10 feet of each other. And it, it, it's, it's like your, your eyes don't believe what they're seeing because it runs so counter. We're not used to seeing planes flying directly at each other. We're not used to seeing aircraft going so close to each other. 
such a dangerous maneuver. And when we think about the teachings of Jesus, when we think about what it takes to follow Jesus, one reason it's so challenging is because it goes against how we would normally think. It goes against the very nature of being a human being. If you think back a few months ago, we did a series from Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, Paul gives us this list and basically says, this is what human nature gives us. He says, this is what the flesh gives us. And he gives us this list. And it's not an attractive list. It's not flattering stuff. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, if we're attuned to God's nature and God's Spirit, he says this is the work of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit provides us. And that's when we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we discussed in that series that all of those attributes of the Spirit on some level run counter to human nature. We can all probably agree, human nature, it's a challenge sometimes to exercise self-control. It's a challenge to exercise patience. Sometimes, depending on who we're talking about, it's a challenge to exercise love, isn't it? It's, it's a challenge to love people that we might struggle to forgive. And so all this makes it a challenge to mold ourselves more and more each day into the image of the risen Christ, into the image of our Savior. In Matthew 18, we see something going on where Jesus shows us what human nature looks like and what we need to look like as followers of Him. The title of today's message is simply Jesus and the Children. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the teachings of Jesus and maybe different aspects of Jesus' life. And so we begin today with Jesus and the children in Matthew 18, beginning with verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so it begins with a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Now, let's face it. When these apostles, these closest followers of Jesus, pose the question, 
What they're really saying is, come on boss, you tell us, which one of us is the greatest? Because in their minds, they're thinking, hey, there's a whole wealth of people walking this earth. And at at some point, he chose the twelve of us. And so there were times we know that Jesus was off in that solitary place to pray. And the apostles then are left to their own devices. Oh, that's just a recipe for trouble, isn't it, church? When when Jesus goes off and then the apostles, and let's face it, we might as well say any 12 human beings that he happened to pick, right? Could gather up 12 of us to walk lockstep with Jesus for a few years. And when he goes off to a solitary place to pray, then here we are, 12 of us left to our own devices. Left to what, church? Left to human nature, right? The human nature of a broken, fallen world. Let's remember. And so, then I can just imagine them starting to talk. Saying, you know what? This is something. Of all the people he could have chosen, he chose us. And then at some point, they start thinking to themselves, instead of, wow, you know, he didn't pick somebody with an education. He didn't pick somebody with with a pedigree in the Jewish world. No, he picked he picked fishermen. And he picked a, a tax collector of all people. He picked people that knew what it was like to work with their hands, blue-collar folks. But no, they're discussions and amazement at some point go beyond that to huh yeah well if if there's going to be a greatest in the kingdom of heaven wouldn't it stand to reason that it's going to come from this circle right here fellas why yeah it's going to have to come from us 12 so the question that seems innocent enough on the surface Tell us, Master, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Tell us about who this person might be. What might they look like? What are they all about? What they're really saying is, Boss, which one of us is the best? Because they've asked the question. They want to know who the greatest is. And so Jesus reaches for an example. And Matthew tells us he calls a child to him. Hey, you, over here. And says, you want to be the greatest? You've got to be like this. Now, in a moment, we're going to flip over to Matthew 19. And we're going to be reminded of just what those same apostles thought of children. But in this moment, he's saying, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be the least. You've got to be like this child. 
Now, we think about small children. What are they capable of? Well, the last time I checked, they don't go out and earn a wage, do they? You know, they don't come home at the end of the week with a check and say, Here, Mom and Dad, here's, 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 uh, here's my contribution to the goings-on of the household. You know, put some, put some food on the table and some clothes on my back with some of this. You know, be sure and give 10% of this to the church. No! The child costs money, don't they? They cost money. And the older they get, the more they cost, right? We've been there. They get to a point where they cost a car. And cars need to be insured. And uh, cars need gas. And cars need oil changes. And, and so there are expenses involved. And yes, there are some that go out and earn a wage when they get to be 15, 16, 17 years old. And that's wonderful. But we're talking about the smaller children here. We're not talking about the ones that have paper routes and mow lawns. We're talking about the ones that are helpless. We're talking about children that are dependent on someone else for their food and for their clothing. They're dependent on someone else, really, for everything. And so Jesus is saying, you want to be great... You're going to have to be more like this right here. Because what is it that greatness says? Greatness says, I'm the one in charge. Jesus says, you want to be great in the kingdom, not in the world, but in the kingdom, you've got to be humble. Because humility says that Jesus is Lord of my life, and I'm in charge of absolutely nothing. Greatness says, I don't need anyone else. And humility says, Lord, please help me, because I cannot do it alone. Greatness says, I have all the answers. They're right here in my noodle. I know it all. Humility says, wow, have I got a lot to learn. And now that I've got both feet across that line, that imaginary line known as middle age, uh, I realize how much I still don't know. It's true, isn't it, church? There's a whole lot we still don't know. The more I dig into this precious and thick book, the more I realize, wow, there's a lot going on here. And I'm learning new stuff all the time. New perspectives all the time. And so, humility says... And no, by me saying that, I'm not saying, look at me, I'm humble, okay? There's a... 
this, if, if you're going around telling everybody that you're humble, okay, that's a problem, okay? Uh, but humility says, boy, I've got a lot to learn. I don't have it all figured out. Humility says, I need help. Just this past uh, this past Sunday afternoon, I recorded a video, and I know many of you have, have already seen it, but uploaded to our YouTube channel, and we talked about lament. And that's what lament is. It's not, it's not a complaint as much as it is a passionate plea for help. And lament says, Lord, please help me, or Lord, please help us. And when someone's capable of lament, then they are exercising humility. How many times in the last week, in the last month, have you yourself said, Lord, help me? I mean, some of you are thinking, preacher, you know, nine times a day on average. And, and I get that. And see, that's what Jesus is calling them because their human nature, they're saying, hey, I want to be great. And it's not necessarily sinful or evil to want to accomplish something. There are certain ladders that, that climbing them isn't, isn't a bad thing. You own a business and you want your business to be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. If you, if you work for a company and you want to be promoted and you want to be put in certain positions of responsibility, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. When that becomes sinful is when that becomes what we're all about. And when climbing ladders and when certain accomplishments and success become what define us, that's a problem for a child of God. And so, here they are saying, which one of us is greatest? And he's simply saying, oh, have you all got a lot to learn? Because in the kingdom, the rules are different than they are here in this fallen, broken world. And you want to be great, then you're beneath everybody. That's what greatness looks like. That you learn how to be humble. And then we turn the page over to Matthew 19. And we look at verses 13 through 15. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And so now, uh, it seems like if this is happening, in fact, in chronological order... And we know the Gospels were not written completely chronologically. So we don't really, we're not 100% sure. But if, if in fact what happens in Matthew 18 occurs before this incident in Matthew 19, 
then human nature is on display here, isn't it? Because the apostles haven't remembered much about how Jesus values children. Because in the ancient culture, children had no value. Except that later on, when they were old enough to work, that they could go to work on behalf of the household somehow. That was the real value in the ancient world of what a child was. Now, it's completely different. Now we see parents that don't miss anything their child does. And I know lots of people that have given that testimony and I've heard them say, boy, my dad never missed anything that I ever did. Every ball game, every academic competition. I know there were times that I had to be away and had to miss some things that Barrett did. But I can tell you 100%, I don't think my wife missed a single academic meet, a single band competition, a single anything that Barrett did. And so, to us, the idea of not focusing on your children for a time during their adolescence and during their upbringing seems strange. But in the ancient world, the family wasn't built around the children. It just wasn't like that. And so, in this moment where these people see what Jesus has been able to do, they see that, wow... The way he blesses people, the way he heals people, the way he changes lives. What if he can bless our child? And so they take their children to Jesus for a simple blessing. They're saying, Jesus, can you simply just lay your hand on my child? Can you just lay your hand on my child and bless them for just a moment? And what do the apostles do? There's a rebuke going on here. They're acting like handlers for a United States senator or for a president. They're, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't have time for this. No, no way. He just doesn't have time for this. And Jesus says, whoa, you're the ones that need to cool your jets, fellas. Step aside and let those children come to me. And so he lays his hand on them. And he prays over them and he blesses them. And then when he's done, he left. Probably walks away shaking his head going... Oh, these guys still have a lot to learn. And so, yeah, they still have a lot to learn. Because they're still doing everything through the lens of human nature and human culture. And they're not quite grasping what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Back in Matthew 18, something that Jesus said that we don't need to miss this morning, church, is that whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me. And then he were to go on, if we had read that part, he goes on to issue a stern warning. 
that says, And woe to anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble. In other words, be an example to children. Be an example to people who are younger than you. Don't be the reason that they might stumble. Don't be a reason that a temptation that they're wrestling with comes to reality or comes to fruition. He's saying, you that are older need to learn to know better. And you need to be pouring yourself into and be an example for the people that are younger than you. And church, that never changes. That never changes. Whether it's somebody in their 20s who is an example to a child or a teenager, or somebody in their 30s or 40s who is an example to somebody that is a younger adult. Somebody like me that's in their 50s that should still be an example to those people in their 20s and 30s and 40s that we are not to be stumbling blocks that we are to be examples that that's what Jesus calls for us so when we look at Jesus and children we have to understand that what he's teaching here runs counter to the culture of the day and so you may not be around a lot of children at this point in your life. Some of you are around children all the time. But one thing we need to take away from this, this morning church, is that Jesus calls us to live a life that so often runs counter to our culture. The culture of our day says... You need to take care of yourself. You need to look after yourself. Boy, before you can worry about other people, no, you you got to focus on yourself. And there's a whole lot of that talk that I hear coming out of the world. That, hey, you're number one. And so you need to be focusing on number one. You need to focus on yourself. Now, There may be times that we have to step away and focus on ourselves. Jesus broke away from people at times to pray to the Father and to recharge his batteries. But he spent most of his time in community with people. And so, yes, there are times we may have to take some time to heal We may have to take some time to rest. But if our life is about focusing on ourselves, then we're not living the life that God calls us to live. We're not following Jesus. We're taking the advice of the world. And church, we need to live lives that run counter to what the world teaches us. To what the world gives us. We need to live lives as challenging as it can be at times. And I know I for one can raise my hand and say yes it's challenging. That's why some people 
simply threw up their hands. If we read the Gospels, there's a point in which people that were following Jesus for a while, not the twelve, but other folks that were adopting his teaching and trying to live it out, at some point said, this teaching is just too hard. This is just too hard to follow. I'm not even going to try anymore. And they just walked away. And church, may we never get to that point. But we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen it in others. And that's not to say that we're better than them. But we've seen others who have walked away from church. They've walked away from following Jesus at some point. Because they just felt like that they they just felt like that living a life that follows Christ just became too challenging. It just became too hard. And so that's why when I say I appreciate that all of you are here today, I mean it. That's not to say that everybody that's not here this morning has stepped away. No, a lot of them will be back next week. But it means that I'm looking in the faces of men and women and children and teens who have made the decision to come worship the Lord on this day. That you are still following Jesus as hard and challenging as it might be at times. And so that is exactly the life that we're called to. Something that's hard, something that's challenging, something that goes against the natural grain of our nature. That we want to satisfy self. We want to make us happy. We want to do for us. And Jesus is saying, no, you got to remember, it's not all about you. You're part of something that is way bigger than you. And being a part of this thing that's way bigger than you, that you need to understand you've got to be like one of these children. One of these children who are weak and vulnerable. You might even say helpless. Because that's really where we are, church. We're helpless. We have the hope of conquering death. But why do we have that hope? Because of the mercy of our Father in heaven. And because of a Savior who is willing to lay down His life and shed His blood. He conquered death so that we can conquer death. But it's not because of anything we did, is it? And so that's what we need to remember as we go about our lives each day. That greatness says, I don't need any help. And humility says, Lord help me because I can't do it alone. That greatness says, you know, I'm the one. It's all about me. And humility says, no, it's not about me. And Jesus And Jesus alone is Lord of my life. So church family, we're going to be part of this kingdom, citizens of this kingdom. Let's remember that it's not about us. And let's remember 
that it involves a very, very big dose of humility. That it requires us to be like a child. Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me. And so the way we treat the little ones, Jesus is saying, is the way we treat Jesus himself. Let's remember that. And let's cling to his teaching. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet made the decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, we offer an invitation so that you can change that. And if you're with us this morning and you need the prayers of a faithful body, then we give you the opportunity to ask for those prayers, whatever that concern might be. Let's stand together and sing this song.